Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, we are in the midst of graduation season, aren't we? We start all the parties and special events. In fact, our youngest son graduates from high school today, this afternoon, and uh, we're super proud of him and excited for this kind of cool season. It makes you get a little nostalgic when you think about it, you know, especially it's, it's our son, so you're looking at pictures and you think back to when they were younger. It makes you remember that at one point you were younger. Do you remember when you were younger? <laughs> Right, you think about that, and I've been uh, thinking about it. I got thinking about when I started my senior year of high school, 17 years old, right? And when you're 17, you got dreams, you got plans, kind of carefree, maybe not the same responsibilities that you, you have in that point. 17's an interesting time. The story we're going to look at today starts when a young man is 17 years old, and his life takes a twist. In fact, just kind of one twist after the other that are really hard to believe. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37 today. We're going we're gonna to dig into a story. For some of you, maybe you've never heard this story before. If you grew up in Sunday school or have been around church a lot, you might be familiar with this story from the Old Testament, book of Genesis, a guy named Joseph. We're going to cover just kind of a small segment of Scripture today. We're only going to work our way from Genesis chapter 37 to 50. That's it. That's all we're going to do today. Just those 13, 14 chapters as we, we roll through that today. But here, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And you may be familiar with this story. Our culture has told it over and over again. I want to start today by telling you the story real quick in case you, you aren't familiar with it. And then we're going to look at some observations from the story. One of the things that's, that's interesting um, from the literary side of this story, and I, how intentional or not it is, I'm not sure. But if you had to take the story of Joseph turn it into a play, and break it out into three acts. Each one of those acts could be represented by what Joseph wears in that part of the story. In fact, key to each part, three parts of the story that you read about Joseph is the garment, the robe, the cloak, the coat that he has on. So let's take a moment and look at these three robes that Joseph wears. This is the first one. It's probably the one that's this most popular. If you're, if you're familiar with this, whether you've seen the cartoons or you're a fan of Dolly Parton or whatever, you know that Joseph had a coat of, anybody? <laughs> Many colors. All right, thanks. That's good. So he had, he had a very colorful coat. Um, some Bible translations call it very ornate, an ornamental coat. What a lot of scholars believe, which is interesting about this, is that what was unique about this coat wasn't just its color or its worth or its value, but, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, that it had long sleeves. Now, what was important about, which, as you saw, this one does not, but you can, you can imagine with me, right? What's important about this coat is it was given to him by his father, Jacob. Now, if you're looking at biblical history, remember that the, the, the founder of the Jewish people, the father of Israel was Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob, the Bible tells us, has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. Joseph isn't just one of them. The Bible tells us that Jacob, the father, loved Joseph, the son, more than all his other children. I got to meet a family the other day, and as I was meeting them, the one son says to me his name, and then he says, I'm the youngest. And I was like, oh, cool, nice to meet you. And I got to the next one, and he told me his name, and he goes, I'm the favorite. Isn't that fun? <laughs> right? 
Well, Joseph didn't have to wonder or joke. He knew because his dad had given him this coat. Part of what was significant about it was that it had long sleeves. In that time and place, if your coat had long sleeves, that wasn't a coat for working. That was a, a decorative coat. It was for styling. It wasn't for getting a job done. And when Joseph got that coat, while his brothers were expected to go out and take care of the animals, take care of the farm, handle the livestock, which was their main role, and Joseph is wearing the coat that was for lounging, not for living, <laughs> how do you think that affected his brothers? They didn't like it at all. And they were jealous of him and the coat. And then it got worse, because then Joe starts having these dreams. When Joseph has these dreams, he starts explaining them to his family. And in the two dreams that we, we read about in Genesis chapter 37, it's, it's implied there that at some point, Joseph's brothers and even his whole family will bow down to him at some point. How many of you have had a dream like that? <laughs> it's a dream, all right, yeah. Joseph had a real one. And he tells it, which might not have been the wisest thing in the world to do. He tells it to his brothers who already really like him, right? Bros, you're gonna bow to me, right? <laughs> And it says, these are the words of the Bible, that they hated him all the more. Even his dad said to him, Joe, I don't know about this. Really, I shouldn't talk about this. So one day when his brothers were out taking care of the livestock, his dad says, hey, Joseph, why don't you go check up on them? So he goes out styling, right? And he's kind of strutting through the desert in his robe. And his brothers see him coming. And they say, look, there's that dreamer. You know what the next words out of their mouths are? Let's kill him. Now that's brotherly love, isn't it? You may have had a Thanksgiving like that once, right? Let's kill him. Well, he shows up. Instead of killing him, they, they throw him in a pit. They leave him there for a little while. And then they see this caravan of traders on their way to Egypt that's going through. And they're like, we could make a quick buck off of our brother. And they sell him to these traders. And he gets taken away to Egypt. When he goes, though, do you know what they keep as a souvenir? This robe. We'll, we'll call this one the robe of a son. And they take it, and they kill a wild animal, and they dip the robe in the blood of the wild animal so that they can take it back and deceive their father and say to their father, look, we found Joseph's coat. And his dad says he must have been torn to pieces by an animal. And when it describes Jacob's weeping and his grieving, it's very powerful how much his father loved him. That's the robe of a son. Then Joseph finds himself in Egypt and he puts on a whole different robe. The Bible calls it a cloak, actually, but, but it's another garment that he wears in this time. Just kind of a plain, simple thing, I'm going to guess. It wasn't ornamental or colorful like his last one. This, this we'll call the robe of a servant. And he's sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's called the captain of the guard. He's a pretty influential dude in Egypt. And in that moment, he sold to Potiphar, and Joseph becomes a slave in Potiphar's house, but it doesn't take long until Potiphar realizes there's something special about this guy. Here's why. Because it says repeatedly in Genesis chapter 39 that the Lord was with Joseph, and what Joseph did, God blessed. And so as Joseph goes into Potiphar's house, guess whose house gets blessed? Potiphar's. To the point that at some point Potiphar goes, look, I, I'm going to trust you, Joe, to handle everything here. 
It says that there was nothing in Potiphar's house that Joseph was not in charge of. He was the leader of that home. He was in a powerful place of influence as he wore that servant's coat. And not only did he get the attention of Potiphar, but if you know the story, it says that Joseph was handsome and strong. How many of you can relate to that? (laughs) Joseph was handsome and strong. Guess who else noticed? Not just Potiphar, but also anybody Potiphar's. And one day, I remember I used to have to tell this story in kids' church sometimes. How do you tell this story in kids' church? Because Joseph, if you don't know the story, gets propositioned by Potiphar's wife. How do you tell that story in kids' church? I used to say, Potiphar's wife said, Joseph, will you be my boyfriend? That's what I would say. You know, I don't know how else to tell it, but that's what she was saying, right? And Joseph was like, I can't do that. Because, and he says to her, my master Potiphar has put me in charge of everything in this house. I can have anything I want but you. (laughs) No way. She keeps hounding him, hounding him, coming after him, coming on to him until one day Joe walks in the house and nobody's there but Potiphar's wife. And she says, like that, right? I don't know. She said it in Egyptian probably, but, but And he's like, no way. And so he knows he runs away. But as she runs after him, she grabs a hold of his what? (laughs) His robe, his cloak, his coat, and she holds on to it. Now she's rejected and spurned. And she's mad. And so she calls out to to the other slaves in the house who come running in. And she says, that Egyptian attacked me. He tried to have his way with me. And then she says the same thing to Potiphar, who's really mad And Joseph, who had been wearing this servant's coat and had all this power and authority, is now thrown in prison. Isn't this crazy? This coat, he ended up in a pit. With this coat, he ended up in a prison. And when he gets to the prison, for something he did not do, by the way, guess what happens in the prison? In the prison, he gets all kinds of power and authority again. Because, here's the line, exact words, Genesis chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. And when he got there, God gave him favor even in that prison to the point that one day the prison warden said, I don't know why I'm doing anything. Joseph, you're in charge of everything. And so he's in charge of what's happening there. There's a couple of dudes who'd been thrown in the prison. They had worked for Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, right? So they'd worked for Pharaoh. Somehow they fell out of favor with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh throws them in prison. One was a baker, and one was called the cupbearer. He would have been the one who would have served Pharaoh his his food, probably his most trusted servant and and, and kind of advisor in, in that role. Both of them take Pharaoh off for some reason, so they end up in prison. They're there for a while, and on the same night, they both have a dream. And if you know the story, I won't go through the whole thing, but they have these dreams and they go, we don't know what these mean. And Joseph said, bring it on, tell me, I know a little thing about dreams. Used to be a dreamer myself. And they said, well, here's our dreams. And Joseph says to the baker, you know, that that dream's not so good because you're gonna die. But he says, the cupbearer, hey, your dream means that you're gonna end up right back where you were, that Pharaoh's gonna take you back in. When he does, remember me, because my family sold me into slavery here And then I'm sitting in this prison for something I did not do. So will you tell Pharaoh about me? Will you remember me? Last last line in that chapter, the book of Genesis, is the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. (laughs) Isn't it always like that? So there he sits. He's gone from son to servant, from pit to prison. And then one day, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. 
Pharaoh wakes up because he's really messed up by these dreams he had. And so he starts talking to people and he says, bring in the counselors, bring in the magicians, bring in people to help me understand the dream. And nobody can help him understand the dream. And all of a sudden the cupbearer goes, oh, I know a dude. <laughs> you remember when you were mad at me and put me in prison? I was there with this guy named Joseph. He's pretty good with dreams. And Pharaoh says, we'll bring him in. And so Pharaoh comes in and says to Joseph, and I think this is really significant. He says to Joseph, Joseph, I have these dreams. You're going to tell me what they mean. And Joseph says, I can't tell you, but God can. So I'll see what I can find out from him. And so Joseph explains these dreams. Let me give it to you in a snapshot. What the dreams mean is, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven really good years in your country. Seven years of harvest and plenty. And then after those seven years, you're going to have seven years of famine. Worst years you've ever seen. And Pharaoh's like, well, what do I do now that I know the meaning of the dreams? Joseph says, I got an idea. Why don't you save some of the grain from these first seven years that are really good, and then you'll have something to rely on during the years of famine? And Pharaoh goes, look, is there anybody in this place that has more wisdom than this guy? And it says, let's put Joseph in charge of all of this. And one of the things very clearly it says is we're going to put a robe on him. Now, this is very different than those other two, isn't it? Because this one is a robe that's purple. It kind of looks like royalty. This isn't the robe of a son. This isn't the robe of a servant. This is a robe of significance. This, this, one, this one really matters. And now Joseph is in this incredible place where he oversees this whole process. It says that there was no one more powerful in all of Egypt except for Pharaoh than Joseph. That's a powerful thing that happens. And Pharaoh trusts in Joseph. Joseph ends up saving not only, he ends up saving not only Egypt, but about two years into this famine, guess who comes rolling in looking to buy some groceries? His 10 brothers that had thrown him in the pit. Right? Now you got an interesting story on your hands. This is a powerful story. And it all started with a 17-year-old kid who got a coat from his dad because his dad loved him. You know, we're in a series of messages that we're calling the, the voices in my head. And as we've been in this series, one of the things that we've been talking about are the different emotions and feelings, the challenges, the struggles that we go through. And if you think back through those different acts in the play, if you will, or those different moments that Joseph went through. Think about the voices that must have been in his head. When he was wearing that robe of a son, and then times when he was hated, when he was despised by his own family, when he was rejected and abandoned, when they told him he was worthless and threw him in a pit. Think of the voices in his head then. And then, fast forward to when he's, he's wearing the robe of a servant, and eventually when it lands him in prison, you can't tell me that he didn't have voices of loneliness and anger when he was vengeful and resentful and bitter and he felt like he was abandoned again and no one was there. And there probably were even moments where he even asked the question, I wonder where God is in these times. Look, you, you got all these emotions that we're talking about here today. And I want to take all of them. And I know they're not all the same, but I want to put them all under one umbrella. Because when we talk about all these different emotions, from worthlessness to abandonment, when we talk about anger and resentment, when we talk about when we're feeling vengeful in certain ways, I want to put all of those under one umbrella because I think all of them have at their very root when we expected something to go one way and it does not go that way. Or when we wish something was different in our lives, we wrestle with feelings of disappointment. 
I wanna talk about, in looking at Joseph's life, how do you navigate seasons of disappointment in your life? I think we can learn some things from his example and his story. And probably for some of you, this is not theoretical, this is not a good sermon for somebody else. For some of you, when I talk about disappointment, you go, that's me. (laughs) Like, I know disappointment. Maybe it started in your childhood. Maybe it was something that happened in your family life. Maybe it ties back to your school. Maybe it ties back to your job. Maybe it ties back to a divorce or your family, unmet expectations. Maybe there was something tragic that happened or a mistreatment that came your way or lies that were told. And here's what I want you to see. This is where this all comes together. Disappointment makes us vulnerable to the voices in our head. Those voices, when we are in a season of disappointment, get all the more louder in our head. Those voices make us vulnerable. And here's here's what's so important. Here's what we learned from Joseph. In times of disappointment, you have to choose how to respond. When those voices are are talking in your head and you're vulnerable to hear them in those moments. We'll look at this as we go through this. You have to choose how you are going to respond in those times. And I want to encourage you, and this is where it's going to be a little bit different in some of this today as we walk through this. I want to encourage you. There are times when you can't be passive with those things. Like sometimes I have thoughts that come to my mind and I'm like, that's dumb and I just excuse it. Or I think, "Ah, I don't wanna think about that and it's gone. And there's other times when those voices are louder or more persistent or more challenging, if you will. And sometimes you have to raise your own voice to combat the voices in your head. There are times where, whether it's, it's, it's physically or whether it's spiritually, that there are times where in some way you gotta talk back to those voices. You have to speak out to them. You have to say, look, this is not me and I need to speak up. I remember one time when I was in school, the teacher was handing back test papers and I got a test paper back and I was pretty sure I'd done pretty good on that test. And I remember I looked down and you know they, they, have, to, they have to write your score in red on there, which is terrifying to begin with. And I looked down and it was not the score that I expected. And I looked down at all these things that I'd missed on there. And I was like, I can't believe I did this poorly on this test. I thought I I did better than that. I thought I was in a better place than that. And then I looked up, and it wasn't my name on there. I'd gotten the wrong test paper. Do you think I spoke up? Better believe I spoke up. That was a good time to raise my voice. Not in an angry way. (laughs) Teacher, not like that. But that's when you go, look, and here's the point here. That's not me. And I'm not going to take that on because that's not mine to take on. Instead, I'm gonna speak truth to this situation. And I had to declare, teacher, this is not my paper. This is not who I am. I wanna give you some declarations today, three things that we're gonna look at. And I think they're significant, because I would think they were things that, that were going through Joseph's head as he walked through these different stages and seasons of his life. And we're gonna speak these things out loud. We don't do this a lot like in church and I'm not necessarily the repeat after me pastor. You know, some guys are like that. They say something, they want you to say it back to them. Like they say, I'm a really good preacher. And then they say, you say, no, I'm just, you know, that kind of thing. But like, but this may seem a little strange to some of you, but I think there's power sometimes when we speak truth. And we're not only gonna speak truth today, we're also gonna do it with scripture. Because the best way to silence the voice in your head is to raise your own voice with God's word. 
And for some of you, there are going to be some scriptures today that you're going to write down that you're going to come back to later this week, or God's going to lead you to some scriptures based on what we talk about today that you're going to hold on to in the midst of your disappointment. And there's going to come a time when you're going to, you're going to need to maybe stand in front of a mirror before you walk out of your house, and you're going to need to quote that verse. Or you're going to be driving down the road, and you're going to have to think that thought and speak that word out loud. You might even have to slip into a corner or off into the bathroom for a moment to say, i got to speak this truth to combat these voices in my head. Because the voices don't stop so many times, right? And in those times, we can't stop either. So I want to give you these declarations today that we're going to look at. Here's the first one, and you see this in Joseph's life. Number one, I am a person who is loved. Number one, I am a person who is love. Now, I know this sounds real simple, and it might even sound a little self-helpy, but I want to show you why this is so important. So say this with me. Number one, I am a person who is loved. Okay, let's try it again, because that was, you got the wrong score on that test. Let's try it again. So, I am a person who is why do you say that? Look at what we hear about Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. This robe was a constant reminder to Joseph of how much he was loved. And I can tell you this, and this is what's cool about God. If Joseph's earthly father loved him that way, your heavenly father loves you in that same way and even more. What's cool about God is he doesn't have to choose to love you more than anybody else. His love has no limits. And so he loves us all. Here's what I want you to know. There will be times when you have to remind yourself, I am a person who is loved. Here's why. Know this. Sometimes you have to say, my heavenly father loves me. I just have to remind myself, my heavenly father loves me. And there's times when you have to go back to a passage like John 3, 16 that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Because there may be a moment where you go, well, are you sure God loves me? Are you in the world? Then God loves you because God loves everybody. And some of you go, well, I'm pretty sure he doesn't love me as much because you should know the things I've done. You should know the ways I've messed up. You should know the ways I've let him down. Romans chapter five, verse eight but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that once we got our act together, is that what it says? <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your heavenly father loves you. And here's the second thing that you might have to say to yourself at some point, God has dreams for my life to fulfill. God has dreams for my life to fulfill. Now, now, Joseph had actual dreams, like close your eyes, go to sleep, wake up, and go, wow, what was that dreams? For you, it might not be that, but there's things that are in your heart. There's passions that you have. There's certain things or ministries or ideas or causes that resonate with you in a certain way. It's a passion to see something specific happen in your family. It's goals that you have that are out there, ways that God wants to use your gifts and your abilities, and you might say, well, I know that's good for some people, like, I know God has dreams for the smart and the good-looking people, but I'm not so sure he has dreams for me. Look, take this one to the bank. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's already planned this out. He has things he wants you to do. One of the things you'll notice today is we're going to look at a lot of familiar scripture. Because one of the things I want you to know is that some of the verses you already know are excellent tools for you to use when you're talking back to the voices that are in your head. Some of you may be quick to go, ha ha, these dreaming sermons. 
I like them. I really liked them when I was younger. I hope the youths in the room are listening to this, but it's not for me. My dreaming days are over. I don't know that I have a whole lot of dreams left in me. I'm too old to dream, or I've come too far to dream, or I've messed up too much to dream. I don't know that I can dream anymore. When you say, I don't know if I can dream anymore, I don't know that I can think of anything that's less biblical than that. Let me tell you what the Bible says about those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will, read it, (laughs) dream dreams. Look, God has dreams that he has put inside of you. And I don't know what you're, you're facing. I don't know what you're up against. And I know this isn't for everybody, but for some of you, and I know this is super basic, but don't miss this because this is one of the first things that disappointment wants to steal from us. You know that's what disappointment does, right? It takes something that God has given to you and wants to take it away from you. It will distract you to do that. And one of the first things that that the enemy will want you to not think about is the fact that God loves you and he has a purpose for your life. He has dreams that he wants to give to you. And don't miss that. You know what's interesting? How many times in Genesis 37 it says that Joseph's brothers hated him? not disliked him, not were irritated with him, not had to put up with him. They hated him. People will be jealous of your dreams, especially if they don't have any of their own. And so don't don't forget that there will be times when you may face opposition or disappointment might come your way. My question is, and this is what I see in Genesis 37, I've gotta ask, are you a hater or a dreamer? Because when I look at those brothers, I don't see an in-between. Like, like you're one or the other in those places. And my fear for you is there's times when you're facing disappointment that it causes you to give up on your dreams because sometimes it's easier to be a hater. Don't let another's hate turn you into a hater. Those things will come your way. And know this, it's always easier to be a hater because when you're a hater, your mind can just be lazy. You don't have to discipline yourself to think about what's next. You can feel good about yourself when you tear other people down. You take a good look at yourself, and instead you, you criticize other people. And when you become a hater, you're miserable with your critical spirit in the end. I want to encourage you today, know this, just so you don't get caught off guard, there will always be haters. The reality is, haters are going to hate, 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 baby. <laughs> what do you do? You shake it off. You shake it off, I'm telling you. There's a guy in South Carolina. That's funny if you don't know that. That's really funny. Guy in South Carolina, 4.30 in the morning, went into a Walmart, went in the clothing section, and then went over to the houseware section and started a fire in either one of those sections. And so all the employees are like scrambling to put out these fires that he started. While they're doing that, he goes back into the electronics and loads up a cart with two TVs, a sound bar, and some other things. And he walks right out, puts them in his car, and he leaves. Because he was able to distract them with these little fires so that he could steal what he really came for. Isn't that what disappointment does to us so many times? It gets us thinking in places that really aren't that important so that we get robbed of the things that really matter. Can I tell you this? And believe this, you are loved by your father. Chad, you don't know my story. You don't know my divorce. You don't know my betrayal. You don't know the constant fight. No, I don't. But I do know this, that the whole reason that God sent his son Jesus to die, one thing, 
because he loves you, no matter what. And some of you have voices in your head that say you do not matter, you don't have value, your life has no worth. You've even asked the question, what's the use in living? And can I tell you this, no matter how deep that pit that you find yourself in, there is a God who loves you and has a plan to pull you out of that pit. And he is working something out in your life. This robe, this robe of a son, reminds me that I am loved by my heavenly father. Let's move to this second declaration. It it comes from this robe, this robe of a servant. Here's number two. It's I am a person of integrity. Declaration number two today. I am a person of integrity. Say that with me. I am a And you might go, disappointment and integrity. Chad, that seems like two different sermons. I don't see how those two things fit together. But they're exactly what fit together in Joseph's life. When he put on that robe of a servant, it says he went to Potiphar's house. And it says this over and over again. I think it's four times in in chapter 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. And I think in part the reason the Lord could be with Joseph is because Joseph made sure that he was with the Lord, right? Doesn't it work like that? Like he said, God, I'll I'll do what you want me to do. I'm gonna be used by you in this place. So when he's in Potiphar's house, the Lord is with Joseph and Joseph is a blessing to them. He gets thrown in prison for something he didn't do and you know what it says there? Verse 21, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden and it wasn't long until he was in charge there too. Know this, God is with you in every season of your life. Whether you are in a pit or in a prison, God is right there with you. He loves you, and he's working something out in your life, and what he's asking you to do is stay faithful and work hard and don't give up. I know you might be in that dead-end job, or you might be in that situation that you don't know how to resolve, or you're looking at this and saying, I didn't ask for this, and I'm not trying to minimize your hurt or your pain. I'm just saying, even in the midst of that, you choose to be a person of integrity. You choose to be a person that God can be with you because he is with you. If you'll choose to allow him to work through you. I've seen so many people who get into a place of disappointment, and especially if they have to trade their robe of a son for the robe of a servant, because this one's not a whole lot of fun. This one's awesome until it gets stripped off of you. This one's not a whole lot of fun. And I've seen people who just go, I guess I'm just stuck here. I don't want to be here. And their disappointment turns into frustration. Can I tell you this? Do not let your frustration cause you to forfeit God's favor. Do not let your frustration put you in a place where you dismiss what God might want to do through you. And know this, and I know this this might not be fun, but when you're stripped of one robe, be ready to embrace the next one. Okay, if God's taken you from season to season and you've lost this robe, be ready to embrace this one because it could be that God's doing something through that. So here's a couple of things that I would say. Say this to yourself in these points. Like like when you're saying I'm a person of integrity, say to yourself, I will choose to be a channel of blessing. No, I don't wanna be in this spot. No, this isn't how I thought it would be. No, this isn't the way that I wanted it to go, but I will choose to be a channel of blessing even in this place. Do you think Joseph wanted to be in that, in that house of Potiphar's? No, for all intents and purposes, Potiphar was the enemy. Do you think he wanted to be in prison? No, he makes it very clear. He does not want to be there. But that doesn't mean he won't say, God, use me in this place. Think of it in this way. It may be, and I know people who have, who have seen this happen in their life. It might be that through your sickness, God wants to introduce someone to the healer. 
And it might be that through your loneliness, God wants to show someone that there's a comforter. And it might be that in the midst of your sorrow, God's trying to bring true joy to someone else. And Joseph could have said, well, I guess I'm stuck in this pit, or I guess I'm stuck in this prison. I guess God's done with me. Can I say, do not limit your, or do not let your place limit your potential. Do not let the place you find yourself in limit the potential of what God wants to do in your life. It may be time to hold on to a scripture like Galatians 6, 9, that says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, when I'm most prone to give up, usually right before there's a breakthrough. Anybody? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people continue to help them. Some of you go, but Chad, you don't know my journey. You don't know my story. You think these robes are something. Twists and turns in my life. You ever felt like things were bad and then they just got worse? Anybody? There's a guy in Japan whose name was Tsutsu Yamaguchi. And uh, he was on a business trip in August of 1945 in Hiroshima, Japan. History bus, put that together. August 1945, Hiroshima. He gets, yeah, boom. Yeah, he, he, uh, he gets off a tram as he's getting into the city just as the atomic bomb explodes World War II in Hiroshima. Blast knocks him over, he, he survives. He has like some temporary blindness and his eardrums are destroyed. But he ends up going to like an air raid shelter overnight and he says to himself, I don't think this is the place I want to be. And so he leaves Hiroshima and goes back to his home in a town called Nagasaki. And if you know history, a few days later when he's standing in the office of his boss explaining to him why he left Hiroshima, two miles away from there, the atomic bomb drops on Nagasaki. This dude was in the wrong place at the wrong time twice. Sometimes you go, life just goes from bad to worse. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, and then Potiphar's wife makes up a lie about him, and it lands him in prison. This is what I want to encourage you with. When you're in those places of disappointment, and remember what we said, when you're in a place of disappointment, it makes you so vulnerable, not just to the voices in your head, but also to the things that maybe you should not do. This is why there's a call to be a person of integrity. In those moments of disappointment, say this to yourself, I will choose to do the right thing. I will choose to do the right thing. Not the convenient thing, not the easy thing, not the pleasurable thing. I'm gonna do the right thing because the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. Potiphar's wife says, hey Joe, wanna be my boyfriend? Just like that. And you know what he could have said? You know what, maybe I do. My life has kind of been miserable lately. I wouldn't mind a little fun. Maybe that's exactly what I wanna do. And who cares? Things are so messed up, how bad can it get? Besides, I'm in charge of everything. I can hide this. Nobody ever needs to know. He could have chosen the easy or the convenient or the pleasurable way. And if he had time to rationalize it, we might not have blamed him. Instead, you know what he did? He said, no way. He ran away because he was not gonna allow himself 
to be in that place. He understood truths like Proverbs 10, verse 9, that says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. He understood truths like Psalm 41, 12, that says, because of my integrity, you uphold me. Do you hear that? Because of my integrity, you uphold me. Set me in your presence forever. Proverbs eleven three: 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And some of you need to hear this because your disappointment has taken you from the robe of a son into a pit to the robe of a servant and into a prison and you say to yourself, why do I even wanna be here? Know this, even when you are in a prison, you can still be a person of integrity. When your disappointment makes you vulnerable, be ready to say, I will do the right thing because that's the right thing to do. And know that then is when God can work through you and do something through you, which takes us to the last declaration that I wanna share with you today. The first one, I'm a person who is loved. Number two, I will choose to be a person of integrity. Number three, I am a person with a destiny. Number three, I'm a person with a destiny. Say that with me. I am a person. Destiny is a strong word, isn't it? Like when you say it, you almost have to say it like that. Destiny. Don't you? I am a person with a destiny. It's the kind of word that you expect like a coach or a politician or a TV preacher to use, don't you? Y'all have a destiny, right? That's what you expect out of that word. It's kind of a cheesy word a little bit. I hesitated a little bit to use it. It's kind of cliche, but things sometimes are cliche for a reason because that's a powerful word. No matter how we use it, you know what you have? You have a destiny. There's something going on in your life that's not just today, but goes beyond today. And God has given to each one of us an eternal destiny, heaven or hell, right? Eternity with him or without him. And we we move towards those destinies. We choose how we live towards those destinies. But I also believe that he's given you a destiny for today. That's That's why we talk about these dreams. And far too many people never move past those things because they get stuck in their disappointment. And I know there's seasons where you wait. There's one point where Joseph's just sitting in prison for two years. And yet I have to believe that somehow he was saying, God, I trust you even in this. God, I believe you're gonna use me even in this. God, I believe that there's something more going on in my life. And when you are in that disappointment, don't forget that you're loved and don't forget that there's dreams and don't choose selfishness over service. Don't take the convenient way over the right way. Instead, here's what I hope you'll say. When you're in those moments, say, I will choose to live in today and not in yesterday. I will choose to live in today and not in yesterday. Isn't that where disappointment cripples us so many times? Because it keeps us living there instead of living here, right? We're stuck back there in the disappointment. Somewhere along the lines, our boy Joe had a breakthrough. He gets married, he has a couple of sons. And this is what we read, Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, they said, why why Manasseh, what does that mean? He said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Isn't that a good word? Like God has done something special in him. And he says, all that stuff that was in the past, God has allowed me to move past that. I don't have to live in yesterday anymore. I can live in today. God has, has, has not only helped me to move past it, but verse 52, it says the second son he named Ephraim. Why'd you name him Ephraim? And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful 
in the land of my suffering. There's some powerful things there that God can help you to get past what was disappointment in your yesterday and he can move you to a place of fruitfulness in your today. Do you like that? Like, I like that. You don't seem to like it. I like it. Okay, this is cool. Ephraim and Manasseh, done with yesterday, living in today. That's, that's awesome, and I believe that. Here's the funny part that you have to navigate. What do you do when you're living in today and yesterday keeps showing up? Because it's gonna happen. It even happened to Joseph. I shall name my children Manasseh and Ephraim. Yesterday is gone, today is here. There's my brothers, right? They showed up. <laughs> the 10 dudes that threw him in the pit, now they show up. What's he gonna do? Because now all of a sudden, all these emotions come back. These are the guys who said you're worthless. These are the guys who said your dreams mean nothing. These are the guys that were known as the 10 haters. And now they're here in front of you and they don't know who you are, but you sure know who they are. You ever, you ever wanted to get revenge? You ever had the thought go through your mind, vengeance is mine, saith the Chad? Have you ever had that thought? <laughs> what do you do when yesterday shows up today? Because I know it happens to you. For some of you, it happens every time you go home. For some of it, it happens every time you're around your family. For some of it, it happens every time you think about the past. But maybe there's some consequences of some of your choices. For some of you, it's every holiday. For some of you, it's every other weekend. That, that's the reason why I'm a pastor. Sometimes there's this, there's this incredible powder keg that shows up at funerals and weddings. Because all of a sudden, you have a critical mass of all these elements that come together all these past disappointments and they're just ready to explode. You ever been to one of those? What do you do when yesterday shows up today? I say, do what Joseph did. Choose to forgive. He not only forgives his brothers, he blesses them. And I don't know what kind of resentment or what kind of bitterness or what kind of things you're holding on to, but can I tell you that choosing to forgive means you are choosing to live. Like you can hold on to that pain and you can hold on to that hurt, but if you'll choose to forgive, that's when you choose to live. And you might say, okay, that's cool, Chad, but it's hard for me because those thoughts keep coming back. The disappointment keeps knocking on my door, rolling through my head. Those places where I've messed up, those places where other people let me down, those places where fear and anxiety creeps back in, when that disappointment shows up, what do I do? Because I keep thinking that same way and those thoughts keep coming back. One of the things that's powerful about God's word is it tells us that it has the power to literally transform our minds. There's no other literature that can do that. God's anointed, Holy Spirit-inspired word that we put it into our hearts when we speak it, it has the power to change us. It has the power to help us navigate our situations. So the next time you look at something in your life and you feel like you're being reminded of your past choices and sins and it's defeating you, you go to Romans chapter eight, verse one that says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And when that moment comes and the anxiety and the fear are knocking on your door, you go to Psalm 91 verse 1 that says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I, anybody, trust. I put my trust in him. The next time somebody makes false accusations against you and you're wrestling with those things, why don't you find a passage like Psalm 54, 1 that says, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God, and listen to the words of my mouth. There are moments when you have to choose. God, I need you to rewire, transform my thinking. Help me think in a different way by the power of your word so that whether I'm in a pit or I'm in a prison or I'm in a palace, God, that I can be in a point that I navigate my disappointment because of what you're doing in my life. And here's one last thing, maybe the most important thing. Joseph's brothers and their father, Jacob, all relocate from where they were in Canaan, and they moved to Egypt, because that's where the food was, and that's where Joseph was. And they get a whole new life there. Joseph is in charge. It's cool. They're blessed. And then dad dies. Whenever dad leaves the room, bad things happen, right? Dad dies. And now the 10 haters are a little scared. They're like, uh, wonder what Joe's gonna do to us now. Dad's not here to protect us anymore. And they were scared of him. They weren't sure what was coming next. And then Joseph said this, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He doesn't get vengeance on them. He recognizes that even in the midst of his disappointment, that God was doing something different. Can I challenge you with this, especially if you're struggling with disappointment today? Say this, I will choose to live with God's perspective. God, even if I can't see it right now, I'll choose to live with your perspective. I'll believe that somehow you're working something out. And I know that my pain and my disappointment right now might be keeping me from seeing clearly, but I know that you have something you're doing. I had a, I had a professor when I was in college who used to talk about having 50-20 vision. When your doctor is happy with your, with your prescription for your contact or your glasses, what is it they want to get you at? They want to get you at 20-20 vision, right? Well, you know what this passage is? It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And some of us, what we need is 50-20 vision. So that what we see is that even though others may have meant it to harm us, even though this may be a bad thing, God intended it because he was working out something wonderful in our lives. Sometimes I have to choose 50-20 vision. Here's how Paul said it, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's a lady in Taiwan who started having real sharp pain in her eye. She kind of rinsed it out with some water, hoped that it would get better, waited about three hours, and then she says, I gotta go to the doctor. So she goes into the emergency room. They take her into the emergency room and they start looking at her eye and they're like peeling back her eyelid to look and see. It's all red and swollen, it's nasty, trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, they see these like little things hanging out from under her eyelid. Everybody okay, you with me? I just wanna make sure nobody's passing out yet. And, and so they take a little pair of like tweezers or whatever, I'm sure there's a more fancy doctor name for them, but they tweezers, and and they start pulling this thing out, and when they pull it out, she had a sweat bee. Do you know what a sweat bee is? This little nasty bee, sweat bee that had flown inside of her eye. 
she'd been out like hiking or whatever and sweat bees like the, the sweat and, and uh, had flown inside her eye. And not only had it flown inside her eye, it had taken three others with it. She had four of those bees up inside her eyeball. Got there just in time. They were able to, you know, pull them out. That's the exact noise. Pull them out like that. And uh, she's okay. Like they expect her, she's going to make a recovery and all this kind of thing. But it's interesting. The pain she had that she never expected that came from something that shouldn't have been there had kept her from seeing clearly until she did something about it. For some of you, your disappointment has caused so much pain in your life that it's kept you from seeing clearly until Joseph walked through with his three robes showed you that somehow, even in the midst of your disappointment, God is working something out in this and that you can trust him. You know why? Because you are loved by God and he's called you to be a person of integrity who even in the midst of your pit or your prison has a destiny for you and for your life and what he's working out through you right now. So I'm gonna invite you to stand right now in this room or if you're watching an auditorium too, just stand with me if you would, please. And just, just so you can take this moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And thanks for your patience. I know we're, we're running just a little long today. Here's what I want you to think about in this moment. I, I just want you to say, if, if you are in a place of disappointment in your life, if you've heard these voices in your head, that today would be a day when you would say, yeah, something's changing today. It's time for me to raise my voice. It's time for me to talk back to those voices with truths of who I am from God's word today. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. We're, we're gonna pray a prayer here at the end. And as I pray this prayer, I'm gonna ask you to pray it with me. We're gonna make this our declaration. We're gonna pray this prayer and say, God, I choose to see things from your perspective today. I put my life in your hands today. I'll lead us in this. And whether you're here in this room or you're in auditorium too or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that speaks life to me. I thank you for Jesus, your son, who died to be my savior and is alive and is my Lord. I declare today that I am loved. My heavenly father loves me and has great dreams for my life. I choose to be a person of integrity even in disappointment, I will be a channel of God's blessing and I will choose to do the right thing because I have a destiny. I'm not living in yesterday. I am living in today, seeing things from God's perspective and trusting God with my life in Jesus' name, amen. Look, it, it might not be enough to just pray that one time. 
That's why I would encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever the season you might be in right now, find a truth from God's word. Put it on your mirror. Stick it on your dashboard. Find a post-it note and put it on your computer screen. Like somehow be able to come back to that, memorize that word so that when those voices start speaking to you, you can talk back to them with the powerful word of God. So thankful that God's word helps us to know how to navigate those voices in our heads. Pray that God will go with you, go in his special favor and his wonderful peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.